my partner Brandon Averill today. Disclaimer, Eric Averill and Brandon Averill are the co-founders of AWM Capital. Due to industry regulations, it's essential to explicitly state that investment or strategies mentioned on this podcast may not be suitable for you, and you should discuss your specific situation with a qualified, certified financial planner. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of AWM Capital or its affiliates. For more information, visit athleteceo.com. Welcome back to the Athlete CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Averill. Today is a fun one. I'm joined uh, by my business partner at AWM Capital, Robbie McConchie, and we have an opportunity to sit down with Neil Jones, the owner of Quantum Helicopters. Neil, thank you for uh, taking time to sit down and chat. Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure. Great. Well, I know uh, Robbie is the one who's had a relationship with you for for quite a while and uh, has talked about uh, being able to take a ride in a helicopter and what an experience it was, but just, he loved your story of, um, you know, really the entrepreneur who uh, hasn't taken the normal path of, you know, going to some Ivy League school who has mom and dad's, you know, bank account to to start a company. And so I think our listeners are really going to love to hear your journey. And if we could just start there of how did you first fall in love with helicopters? Well, you know, as I remember it, uh, Eric, when I was a kid, just in grade school, uh, and I mean really young, maybe five or five or six years old, first grade or so, there were a couple of TV shows that had helicopters on them. And I remember the old Batman TV show when I was a kid. And, and there was another one that I can't even, I've tried to look it up, you know, in years, in recent years. And, and uh, the, that's really what exposed me to helicopters. I didn't have any family. Uh, you know, my, my father was a police officer and in a small town, so there, there weren't any, I don't even think there was a helicopter in the whole city, you know, in those days. Uh, but I got interested in, uh, on, by watching television and, uh, and was really into it, uh, you know, from a very early age. And, and, and as I progressed through school and got into junior high and, you know, I kind of forgot about, it. I didn't have any way to, to exercise that interest, uh, I didn't know anybody that had anything to do with aviation, really, in our in our family circle. So, when I uh, had finished my sophomore year in high school, I just had received a driver's license, just learned how to drive, uh, and I, of course, I was looking for a summer job uh, to support the driving habit, you know, and <laughs> and uh, whatever kids are doing in those, you know, in those uh, high school years and dating and all that. So. I'm looking for a summer job, and one of my buddies uh, called me and said, hey, there, at that time, the Phoenix area was very agricultural, especially this little suburb that I live in. And the, the one of my buddies called and said, hey, these guys that have this crop dusting business out at the Chandler Airport uh, are hiring, and they'll hire you know young kids. As long as you've got a driver's license, it's kind of a, a grunt job. It's hard work, you know, but... Uh, just ground crew kind of work, but uh, they'll hire you. So, man, I got my little car, drove out there, and, and they did hire me. And this particular company uh, was operating both airplanes and helicopters. And, uh, you know, it was like the first day uh, that I went out. Uh, they actually worked in the nighttime mostly, so it was the first night that we went out to 
to go do the job. They put me on an airplane crew, and by the end of that first night, man, I was just hooked. I mean, the you know, I'd listened to one of your other podcasts uh, with the gentleman who was the general manager of the of the Dodgers. You know, I enjoyed that a lot, uh, and I remember him talking about the passion. You get, you need to have a passion for what you're doing, and man. All of that interest, when I was out there seeing the airplanes fly and saw a couple helicopters come in to the to the operation uh, that day, I mean, I was just hooked. So I, all of that uh, interest, and and, uh, and plus it was just cool. You know, I was 16 years old, yeah. and I liked cars and uh, machinery. So uh, so that really, that, that first night out, I came home that night or, or the next morning when we finished the job. And I said, uh, I told my dad, who was still a police officer at that time, I said, Dad, this is this is what I'm going to do. And he's like, Yeah, you know, you've, <laughs> you've said this and you've said that. I said, No, this is this is my thing. I'm going to become a pilot and I'm going to I'm going to do this. And my mom's just kind of shaking her head, you know. Yeah, we'll see. And then, uh, but that's that's what happened. I, I continued to work there through the rest of high school, and th- through the the few years right after high school to. To make enough money and to earn enough uh, so that I could pay for my training, and uh, and that's how I got started. I started flying airplanes right after that when I was 16, because hel- the helicopter, the civilian helicopter industry, at that time was very difficult to break into if you weren't military, and that has really changed now. But in those days, it was right as the change was starting to happen. So I started in fixed wing and flying airplanes, but my my heart was still really with helicopters. And when I was in my early 20s, I got a chance to jump over to the helicopter market. And and it's really been a fun, interesting, sometimes very hard, you know, like most jobs and most companies, most careers, you you go through some difficulties, but it's been a wonderful, uh, really fun career. We, We have met some of the most interesting people in America because of our connection to helicopters and and I'm very very thankful and really really have enjoyed it. I've been doing it now for uh, 35 years. Wow. So you talk about that passion and and I think it's important to park on there a little bit because you're in high school and I think we can all remember back being the high school kids and for a lot of maybe our athletes that are listening or for Robbie and I who with our athletic background is we did have a, a focus and a passion on wanting to accomplish a goal, and we had to give up a lot of what maybe normal kids were doing. And you know, we were talking offline the amount of work that you were doing. We're not we're not talking about flipping burgers at McDonald's for a few hours. You you said you were putting in 80, 90 hours of weeks when you're in your teens. And so, I just think of that passion, and then for you to save enough of your own money to do your training. You know, a lot of people you know, think, oh, it's a big jump to college. I look at what you did and go, you actually had a lot more direction than, than most teenagers. And can you just talk about the, the work ethic that it took and, and instilled in you and and really that first mentor you had? Have you said you learned so much of just being hands on the job? Yeah. Well, that first high school job, you know, and, and my my father was a police officer by trade, but but he was a, a handyman, and he was always a very generous guy, so he was always doing projects and helping neighbors and, and people at our church. And so my dad was always, in my younger years, dragging us around as his uh, support staff. You know, we would do all of his grunt work while he did the fun stuff. And uh, so I... Uh, uh, but he was 
the example that he set, he was one of the hardest working guys I've ever seen. He always, and he provided for his family and he took care of us. And, uh, and so I had his influence going into it. And then uh, this job that I took when I was 16, that was really my first job that I had a boss and I punched a clock and, and, uh, and that, that job was a difficult, I mean, what we were doing, uh, the first couple of years I worked there was washing airplanes and helicopters and, and sweeping the hangar and, and, uh, loading chemicals. And, you know, it wasn't glamorous, but I was just in heaven because I was around the aircraft and I was getting to hang out with the pilots and, and, uh, that job had a, an influence on an influence on me on so many different levels because of what you said it wasn't the normal high school job where you work 15 or 20 hours a week uh, at a fast food place in the summertime we we had the opportunity to work uh you know uh, literally 85 90 hours a week during the cotton season when these guys were working and busy so even though we were making low hourly wage by the time you take the time and a half and uh and, and I also learned that, hey, this is how this works. You know, if I go out here and I work hard for these people, they give me money every two weeks. <laughs> and that really resonated with me. I, I enjoyed working and producing. And uh, and even though it wasn't, I would never want to do that job now, uh, it was a wonderful jumping off point for me, not only because I could make more than normal income for a 16, 17, 18-year-old, uh, to try to finance my flying habit, but uh, because the owner of that company, uh, you know, even though he he really wasn't into uh, to being a teacher or uh, he wasn't overtly trying to train me or mentor me, because in my later years that I worked at that company, I got to work directly with the owner who was a helicopter pilot. I drove uh, his uh, chemical truck and I was his ground crew basically. And we go out and work long days, and, and I learned so much from just watching him, you know. The guy, like my dad, he had an incredible work ethic. He could, you know, he was in his 50s then, and he would outwork all of us in our, you know, teens and early 20s. And, uh, and he was uh, efficient. He was smart. He was, uh, he put the work out, you know. Uh, and I, from working with him day in and day out, I really started to learn about business, uh, even though he wasn't sitting sitting me down and saying, "Okay, here's how we're going to do it today, Neil," and we're gonna, I want to teach you, you know, the P and L or the balance sheet or none of that happened. But just watching his example and the way he took care of things, and the way when when everybody else wanted to take a day off, you know, the wind would blow, so we'd have to shut down. Everybody else would want to go home. He'd make everybody stay because he knew if we miss this opportunity to get the work done, we'll never get it. You know, we're gonna get backed up. Uh, for the next several weeks so and uh, he also that was the first time in watching him run his business that I can remember the seed being planted hey you know I want to I want to be like that guy and I want to I'd never even really known anybody that had their own business Uh, and I had always thought I'll train up somewhere and I'll get a career and maybe I'll be a police officer like my dad but watching him, the seed was planted that, hey, not only would I like to be him, I might be able to pull that off in some way. And uh, so for those, all those reasons, that was a great starting job for me. And it allowed me to, to accelerate my flight training, make a little bit more money. My parents helped me as much as they could. 
because flying, you know, in the civilian world was very like it is now, but it was even a little more challenging to get civilian flight training back then. Um, the civilian helicopter world uh, in the early 80s was very new. Uh, up until that time, there, there really was no civilian training world. Uh, everybody was military. So it, it was a great job uh, to get me started. Uh, that person, uh, you know, if he was to hear this interview, he would probably say, I, I didn't know what I was mentoring. <laughs> I didn't know I was mentoring that kid, you know, 35 years ago, but he was. I mean, just... And I've learned a lot, so much. You know, I, I've enjoyed reading some of the Kiyosaki books, you know, yeah. Robert Kiyosaki. And one of the terms he uses is uh, work to learn, not so much to earn. Yeah. And although I was earning money, so, so much of my experience in working with people and, and especially in my early career, uh, I wasn't very academic. I never really liked school all that much, but I learned from watching other people that I looked up to. And, and I still do. We have some of the most interesting customers in the world that come through here because of their connection to helicopters, you know. Mm. So uh, that's a big part of what uh, floated my boat and, and my passion in the aviation world was, uh, was seeing all these other people, watching them do it and, and do it successfully. So that's kind of how I jumped into it. Uh, and once I jumped in, like I said, I, I was just, for better or for worse, I, I might have been able to do better things in my life uh but once i got into that exposure to aviation it, i was so passionate about it i never thought about it. i was a one uh, uh one track mind you know for better or for worse uh and looking back on it now 35 years later i just i'm very grateful it's been a wonderful career that's great and i think the you know just hearing you talk about that obsession with with being in love with with aviation and, and with helicopters is what created that curiosity mm -hmm. for you to pay attention. It's uh, I've had a lot of conversations uh, lately with older gentlemen who have been very successful. And one of the things I thought was interesting is our younger generations, we want the, we want the older generation to, to come tell us, Hey, I want to mentor you. But the reality is, is that generation doesn't use the word mentor. You know, right. they weren't thinking about, Hey, can I get some young guy that I can train? Sure, there, there's those the exception to the rule, but I think that's some of the best advice that I've heard and, and I share with people now is if you're curious about something, you've got to force your way in. You've got to take advantage of those opportunities when you're with an expert to ask questions, to pay attention, to watch. And if you want to know something, put yourself in that position and play the long game. Don't I don't want to say don't worry about, you know, that your buddies are making more money. But if you're curious about something, like get into the, the, the nitty gritty details. And I think that, that that proves in your story is true as well. And so you you finally do get your opportunity to start working in the helicopter space. You go to work for a company that starts in Scottsdale. Um, you shared with us it, it started as a really small operation one you know one helicopter and, and grew tell us about that journey and specifically what you learned uh from a business standpoint watching that growth tra trajectory and and how he handled the business well yeah and that was you know like like everything we do but especially i think earlier in in any of our careers you know everything you do is a learning experience and and i was uh once i had uh 
obtained enough certification and, and ratings in the FAA world to go out and get a job, uh, an entry-level job. My, my first entry-level uh, helicopter job was for an operator that uh, was in Scottsdale, Arizona, and they were very small. Uh, they were flying these new Robinson Helicopter Company helicopters, uh, and uh, that, that helicopter uh, <clears throat> ended up really changing the entire civilian industry. It made it possible for people in the civilian world to go out and become professional helicopter pilots like never before. Again, before that, uh, if you wanted to fly helicopters, you almost had to do it in the military. So I, I was uh, fortunate enough to get a job with this small company, and, uh, and, uh, and it was, again, a remarkable learning experience. I mean, I, I came from a, from a agricultural community, although my dad was in the police field, uh, very conservative, uh, uh, and uh, everything was very carefully planned, you know, to never really knew anybody that had their own business to going to work for this guy that was uh, uh, totally the opposite. He was uh, a goer and a blower, he, and he, he was a wheeler and a dealer. And uh, <clears throat> so the two uh, extremes there were very fascinating and sometimes, you know, challenging for me to uh, watch the way he did business, and, and uh, he was a risk taker. And, <clears throat> uh, and a lot of that, uh, he did a lot of things incredibly well. I mean, he was, uh, had started this little company in dealership, and uh, as I went to work for him, uh, he grew into, uh, over about a six-year period, the biggest civilian helicopter flight school in the world. Wow. So, and uh, he was, again, the, the, the entrepreneur and the boss and the owner, and uh, he did a lot of those ownership, uh, dream and scheme, the vision kind of things. But what that allowed me to do, I kind of became his right-hand man and ended up being there eight and a half years. I got to, from a first-hand basis, learn the business, you know, uh, because I was the nuts and bolts guy and uh, setting up the training programs and, you know, setting up pr programs for the different aircraft that we got into over the years. And he went from it at the beginning one small little two passenger training aircraft uh, to the end uh, when, when all of that came to an end he had I think 23 helicopters so uh, uh, so during that time uh, again I was I was earning uh, in the beginning it, I wasn't earning much it was uh, you know it really was kind of work to learn but I was learning the business. I was meeting people in our local industry here, and, and the helicopter business is relatively local. Uh, and uh, kept doing that. The business had an incredible growth. We got to do some really fun and interesting things. I, I, again, I, to be fair, I, I learned a tremendous amount from that gentleman that I went to work for, a, a lot of things of how to do things. Uh, but I also learned some things that, that uh, I have chosen not to do, you know, that for me were, once I started my own business, were not the, uh, not the way to go. And, uh, and I started meeting customers that I was working with on a day-to-day -day basis, and many of them that we were teaching to fly were very successful business owners and uh, people that had purchased helicopters, you know. So I was just, just drinking all that in, you know, asking questions, how did you do it, what, you know, what's your story? Uh, some of the most uh, fascinating aviation people out there. So, uh, 
so that was going great uh, through uh, you know the uh, late '80s and the early '90s. I was working for this company. Uh, had finally gotten to the place where we were making some fairly decent money and thinking that things are starting to pay off and uh, <laughs> you know uh, kind of getting fat, dumb, and happy. And then uh, one day he walked in. I mean, uh, he <clears throat> he was a believer in leverage. He uh, he used borrowed money to uh, jump into one thing and another, and uh, and that was his style. You know, uh, it was his business. Uh, but that caught up with him as the savings and loan, you know, problems started to take place in the early 90s. And one day in late ni- 1992, he, he walked in. We were still the busiest civilian flight school anywhere. And he had a meeting and, and let us all know that we were unemployed. I mean, in, in one day, uh, which was probably a blessing in disguise because you don't have a chance to worry about it. You yeah. know, it's just one day it was over. And that's I was 30 years old at that time. Uh, that was 25 years ago, and I remember just sitting in, in the panic, thinking, "Oh my gosh, well, you know, what am I going to do? I got three small kids. Uh, I had just started construction on a house, <coughs> and uh, and now I'm unemployed. You know, I have a construction loan for my house, but I'm probably not going to get. You know, how am I even going to do that? How am I going to get the final, you know, permanent financing? All that stuff is going through your head." My wife had was a, a school teacher for many years, but she had recently uh, stopped teaching to to stay home with our kids. So it was just a mess. And but I knew that I, I had always been dreaming about uh, starting my own business, and I would have never drawn it up that way. You know, I would have I would have done it so much differently. But here I was, and and even that was a blessing in disguise. I had to act. You know, uh, I didn't have a choice. I had to either jump in the pool and start flailing around and see if I could swim or I had to go just go try to find a job somewhere there was a little bit of an aftermath of uh, uh, some of the customers uh, were still available from the from the company that had just closed down and we rallied everybody together that we could and and put a small team together and uh, and that was 25 years ago we started with two little tiny training helicopters uh, and a wing and a prayer, and literally a prayer. Yeah. We did a lot of praying. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and uh, and it was rough. I mean, I, I not to lie to you, I loved coming to work every day. I loved the business that I was in. Basically, I I was in the same business that I had worked for under the other gentleman. Um, I loved getting to fly, uh, but financially it was just hand to mouth. I mean, yeah. a little bit of money would come in, it would go out we'd get a little leg up, you know, one month, and then we'd have extra expenditures or some surprise the next month. That that was really stressful. Uh, and, and we were, you know, we used the term in entrepreneurial talk called bootstrapping. You know, <laughs> man, we were bootstrapping to the to the 10th degree. There were times where I, I literally made, which isn't, I'm not advocating it. It's just the reality. There are, at least two or three times, I, I made payroll with my MasterCard. Yeah, that's not good. That's yeah. not that's not the way you. That's not in no. anybody's business plan, yeah. you know. But we were survivors, you know, and uh, I really wanted it, and we just kept grinding every day. Uh, you know, one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got was, from, you know, about in in that sh- first four years that were so difficult for us. My dad had a buddy that had a small. Uh, 
uh, electrical firm that he had met and brought him out to do some electrical work on our first leased building that we had. And the guy said, Neil, you know, one of the one of the things you got to understand is if you want to be successful, you got to keep showing up to work. Hmm. You got to keep showing up every day. And eventually, you're going to make a little bit of extra money, and you're going to want to go buy a new boat and start playing around at the lake. This guy was a real old-school kind of a crotchety guy. Or you're going to want to buy a new four-wheel drive truck and go camping uh, four days every weekend. He said, those guys don't make it. If you want to make it, you've got to keep showing up to work. And as simple as, as that was, it just really resonated with me. And every time I start to, especially in those early years when, Every customer counted. Every deposit counted. When I would get tempted to go, you know, hey, I'm, hey, nobody can tell me to go. I'm going to go play around or we're going to take a few days off. Um, I would hear his voice in the back of my head. Dude, you better get back out there and take care of your business. And uh, I think that, that that's so wise. And that's a teachable moment, not just for us business owners and entrepreneurs, but our athletes, right, is we have those conversations relating it to the big leagues is you put in so much work to get there and all of a sudden you're on a MLB roster, you're on an NFL roster, you're you're in the NBA. To stay there and actually have sustained success though is a whole different game yeah. and it is. It's that showing up. It's it's not believing you've arrived. You know, is it you made a comment of overvaluing yourself to the right. organization of going even when times are good, I think there was such probably for you, I imagine, a teachable moment, too, in your previous employer that when he went under, it was actually good. It was just he was over leveraged. And so if you start spending everything that comes in or getting overextended and, and kind of counting your chickens before they hatch is you can get in a lot of trouble. And I, you know, I, I see that with a lot of our athletes and, and how they spend money is it's I'm starting to play good. Now, all of a sudden, you know, I could probably really afford a $400,000 home, but I see this contract that's coming. Right. I see this multi-million dollar contract. I'm going to buy a multi-million dollar home. Right. And you've now exposed yourself. Whereas, no, I'm just going to continue to show up to work over time and do the fundamentals and do the fundamentals. And then, you know, I think the really other interesting thing of your experience that we learn is, there's this whole generation of the entrepreneur that wants to go raise money. Everything's right. about, and hear me, like venture capital and seed money and all that stuff's fantastic, but um, we, those that take that money miss the lessons, like you said, of that literally we make a paycheck, we're feeding mouths. It's not a prescriptive thing. We don't, we don't want people to start going, starting businesses on MasterCards, right. but every dollar probably meant something a lot more to you than oh, man. somebody who's raising millions of dollars. Right. You know, and talk a little bit about just your experience being an employee of companies, how that's made you approach having, I think you had mentioned you're just over 30 employees now. So mm -hmm. here you are not only owning a company 25 years later and, and going up and down and overall being very successful is, how did your experience as employee shape you the way that you treat your employees? Well, it was, you know, everything that happens to you as an employee. And, I, and you know, for the first uh, 16 to 30, so 14 years of my working in the aviation field, I was an employee. And uh, 
And a lot of that uh, went into conscious thought, you know, of, of how I was going to set up our employee network. A lot of that was because of uh, lessons I learned on wh- how I wanted our company to be, uh, good things that had happened to me as an employee, and how I didn't, wh- the things I didn't want to repeat because they were negative. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I think that had a lot to do with it. And, and I realized uh, <clears throat> one of the things that was so shocking to me is I had spent so many years uh, prior to starting Quantum Helicopters as an employee, uh, probably the biggest shock to me was when I really became the owner of how much I thought I knew <laughs> that, I did, that I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, uh, like I say, my, my, uh, at, the, at the previous company I'd worked at, I was the, the, the owner's right-hand man, and I was the chief pilot and the chief instructor, and I had been there for a long time, and uh, I thought I knew how the wheels turned, and and I had no idea of a lot of the things that he was doing, like taxes and accountants, and uh, <clears throat> um, you know, uh, dealing with bankers and uh, just dealing with state agencies and uh, federal agencies that some of them I'd never heard of. Well, that was part of running a business that I had never done. And, and that affects the way I treat my employees now because sometimes when you have an employee that uh, is struggling or, or is not understanding why you do things the way you do, or you have to remember that mo- most employees, like I was, you know, all employees, all of us have been employees usually at one time, but uh, a lot of folks have never been owners. So how can you really expect them to understand unless you communicate to them? Hmm. You know, you make this decision, and sometimes, you know, uh, decisions have to be made, and the owner has to be the owner. But a lot of times, a little bit of explanation, a little bit of communication to your employees, you say, you know, why do we do it this way, or why can't I do it my way, or why can't we change? And uh, a lot of times, a simple explanation will, will put that fire out, because they haven't been in that spot, just like... I was so humbled uh, when I first actually became the owner and all this stuff started coming at me. I said, oh, my gosh, uh, my old boss was doing a whole lot of things and managing a whole lot of things that I, I had no clue about. So, and then, you know, personality is a lot, a, a lot, of, uh, uh, a lot of what goes into how you treat your employees. And, and I, you know... Education, you know, I once I did start our own company and I had the chance. I mean, I did start trying to read and and uh, books and periodicals and things having to do with being an entrepreneur, and some of that uh, was constructive to help me know how to, you know, all of a sudden, you know, people are dependent on you, hmm. and the decisions that you make affect what they're doing, their careers and their lives. But I think the the biggest single factor, uh, and I don't know, my employees might, you know, I always wonder, people ask you questions like that, I wonder if my employees would agree with this, but one of the things that, that I, uh, I think it, uh, that I've been blessed with is I, re- I just really have always liked people, you know, and if you, uh, my uh, mantra has always been, listen, I, I am working long hours and I'm doing the best I can before God to uh, to meet my dreams and to be successful and balance uh, my business life, keep the bills paid, make some profit, 
if I want to do that, I, I have to be, uh, I, I would be kind of a, a low life if I didn't try to promote that amongst the people that are working for me too. Well, uh, I would be a kind of a loser if I didn't want the best for my employees. And uh, when you have that mentality and you want them to succeed, and that's one of the coolest things about our business. It just so happens that, you know, we're a training organization by, by nature. The bread and butter of our business is helicopter flight training. And we've had students from literally from all over the world and, and from all parts of America. And we get to watch them come in and, and they all sit in the office and they have no experience and they have a dream just like I did. And you watch them progress from that through their first two or three ratings and then they become... Uh, commercial pilots and then they become instructors and then you get to see them trans transform into being out there flying and working with real customers and then they move on in their career and do bigger and better things many many of our graduates now over the last 25 years are out running companies uh, either their own companies or uh, you know they're the the managers or chief pilots for for other uh, companies or, or positions of authority and that's really, really satisfying to be able to see people move up the ladder and and meet their dreams along with, you know, that was a product of us trying to chase after our dream. So uh, being in the training business like we are, we probably get to enjoy that more, more than most. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's kind of like a, you just feel like a proud father almost to a lot of these kids that have come through. I can say kids now because I'm getting old. <laughs> but... Uh, no disrespect. I mean, they're just usually when we see them yeah. in the beginning, you know, they're twenty to thirty something. Usually, this is their first professional endeavor. You know, where people expect you to sit up straight, and you know, the helicopter business is a dangerous business, so it has to be done right. Mm -hmm. You know, the customer isn't always right in this business. You have to follow the protocols that keep everybody safe, and and. Uh, and so we see them go from that into being very successful in this field, and that's that is really gratifying. Yeah, I I can only imagine it's it's fun to hear you talk about it because hearing you at thirty years old, three little kids, a wife, building a home, of not even really knowing what you're starting, you know, right. doing some basic training of going. Hey, we've we've got some customers that were kind of left over that hopefully we're going to start to that fear of, you know, I think to the testament of of how you do treat um, people is that to hear your chief mechanics been with you 25 years or your um, chief pilots been with you for 20 years is they obviously caught a vision and and. I loved what you had said. The only promise you said is if I tell you I'm going to do something, if you pay for an hour, you're going to get an hour. And something so simple of just doing what you say you're going to do, right. that should not be extraordinary in this world, but the integrity that people can rely on. And I just think of here we are in Chandler, Arizona, right? We're, we're, we're not in some exciting you know, <laughs> state or, or city. But to now look on it and go, you started there and now you guys have a specialized program with um, with a Chinese, you know, uh, agency that, that you're training people and going over there. I was reading online, you guys have partnered with, you know, rescuing people and uh, providing an opportunity for ex-military to come in and do some training mm -hmm. is 
tell us a little bit of all the cool things that you guys are doing here and just how how did you and I it's 25 years of how you got there but you know you're not coming out with an MBA in marketing and in business and entrepreneurship and it's like you started as a as a kid with a passion for helicopters and aviation and you've now built I mean you've built a company right like how does that happen well again back to the passion thing I think my biggest uh, my biggest uh, motivator was the passion I had first of all I just love helicopters man and I still do I'm 56 years old and if you know if somebody says let's go flying (laughs) and I I really do I I I love that and when I when I had the chance and and my my old boss when I was in high school I was telling you about really set that tone when I started seeing him be able to be a business owner but at the same time, have 50% of his responsibility to flying and 50% running the business to me. And I had no training, no no formal training at all. I, I barely made it through high school. And I don't advocate that. I, I just wasn't very academic. Yeah. I was bored in school. Uh, I, I made it through high school and graduated, but I had no desire, unless I absolutely had to, to go to college. Uh, which my kids all threw up at me later. You know, they, they used to love to, when I was telling them, "You are going to college." Yeah. You know, they're all like, "You didn't go to college." I mean, uh, I, I don't advocate that. I just for me, it was the right thing because I I was so involved and interested in what I was doing um, that uh, that was the big thing. I, I was driven by the passion. First of all, the love of helicopters. Second of all the seed that got planted in my head that, man, you, you could be an entrepreneur, you know, you could be, his name was Bob. I used to, you could be Bob, you know, right. And, uh, you could be flying and running the business. And I didn't know how that would look exactly. Uh, and then lo and behold, uh, over many years, it kind of worked out. And the, 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 the cool things we've been able to do are our bread and butter really is the flight training. Uh, but the flight training business, because, we used the Robinson helicopters uh, for our flight training platform. Uh, it was a natural fit for us to become a Robinson dealer. And over the years, uh, we kind of have hitched our cart to this Robinson product, which uh, has been wildly successful. Mr. Robinson and the Robinson Helicopter Company, really, they are like the, he was, he is, uh, the Henry Ford of the helicopter business. Uh, he changed the entire industry, and I, my timing, I couldn't have planned that, but I got in on the early years of that. So we became a dealer. That was a natural outgrowth of what we were flying to do the flight training. And now they produce not only the, the small uh, training aircraft, but two bigger aircraft, and, and now they produce a turbine or a jet helicopter. So we do dealership sales, and, and because of the dealership sales, uh, and and selling helicopters to businesses and individuals, that kind of got us into the maintenance aspect of uh, of maintaining aircraft. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier uh, uh, about you know of all the mistakes I made and of all of the second steps I had to repeat and in my learning process, one thing that really got a hold of me after the experience of my old boss that was in the training business going under is, man, 
I realized at 30 years old, if I was going to jump in this pool and try to build something, I was very equity minded. Mm-hmm. I I didn't. I wanted to to the maximum extent possible. I wanted my energy and my time and my money going into things that were going to count for something later. And I realized, hey, I'm 30 years old. If I'm going to do this 20 or 25 more years or 30, whatever, I want to have something at the end to 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 uh, to show for it. You know, I want to have some kind of uh, build something that's worth something, and not just go after the glamour, which in our business we have a lot of glamour. You know, we have a lot of people doing things because they're cool and they look good, and they never really build any equity. They're leasing and they're and they're they they don't have a long term plan. So because of all those reasons, and we set the business up as this flight school that that uh, also runs its own maintenance operation. We don't farm any of that out. We started with one professional main maintenance uh, person, and now that's grown into I think we've got uh, six or seven of them now uh, that work here full time. We don't farm that out to anybody else. Uh, that the the sales operation led to us meeting some of the most interesting people in aviation and so it's really cool we on a daily basis we might be working with the well i had one in here yesterday literally just yesterday a 17 year old young man that has started uh he he drives one of our vans that run our customers back and forth to the apartments he's 17 years old uh works his butt off hard working respectful young man uh, old school kind of and uh, he comes in and says, Neil, I want to learn how to fly. I mean, uh, uh, this is what I want to do. You know, and I'm like, wow, this is deja vu. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, pull up a chair. And let me tell you, I'm going to tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, so from that, you know, he told me what he wants to do. I told him, you know, here's what I would do. And, and, uh, and we need to get your mom and dad in here and talk to them if they're going to support you. So we have everything from that, a young man who's going to have to do just like I did, work his butt off and maybe get a couple small loans, you know, to literal on the on the buying and training side, guys that are buying helicopters, billionaires, you know, guys that uh, have developed humongous companies and uh, and have been very successful and have been attracted to our business because they want to fly helicopters. They want to own them. So we have all of that spectrum and everything in between, police departments, fire departments, uh, government agencies. We have uh, our, we did some training for the Israeli Air Force at one point wow. because of a weird situation they had. Uh, you know, they we had to give training to this this guy that was a, just a stud, man. Uh, he was a colonel in the Israeli Air Force, but because he didn't have an American certificate, <laughs> he, he had to come here to get training. I'm like, dude, you should be training me. Yeah. I mean, this guy was an Apache... Uh, fighter pilot in the Israeli Air Force, uh, so we've done that. I mean, uh, and the li- the list just goes on and on. Uh, heads of big corporations, uh, entrepreneurial uh, leaders that have built up companies, you know, and purchased helicopters, and uh, and I find them all fascinating. I mean, I, I and I don't say this to be falsely uh, humble or PC or any of that. I, I'm not very PC, but it really is the truth. I find it just as satisfying to work with the 17-year-old kid who's right. just trying to get started and, and wants somebody to tell him the truth uh, and who has a dream because I identify with that so much 
as the billionaire, you know, who's flying his private jet in so that he can look at a helicopter, you know. All of those people and everybody in between, uh, I've just learned to have a deep, deep appreciation for anybody who's a customer. You know, that's just, like you said, Eric, so many of these things are so simple, you know. Just, people just want you to do what you say you're <laughs> going to do. But how many times does that not happen in business? Yeah. Uh, people just want you to appreciate them as an employee or as a customer. Man, that's that's right out of any anybody can write that business manual. But how many people get caught up in the day to day grind and they forget those simple simple things? I mean, I the 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 years that we had to work so hard to find a customer has made me now. I, I mean, I. And I'm always telling our staff, you know, and they're really good about it. I have the best staff in the world, and most of them, like you said, have been with me a long time. But once in a while, we have to revisit, you know. They all tease me because I call it, uh, again, I don't know what else to call it. I call it niceness training. <laughs> I say, you guys are going to get your butts in here. We're going to do some niceness training because you get in the grind and you yep. get under under the stress and crossing the T's and dotting the I's. Don't forget Without the customer, the customer, sometimes they frustrate you. We all know. We've all been customers, and we've all frustrated people. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the customers don't understand, but, man, they're, they are the lifeblood. Without the customers, you you don't have anything. You don't get to do anything or develop. or uh, So we really have tried to stress that over the years, and I think that's been good for us, too. We, uh, we appreciate them all. Yeah. Well, powerful stuff. Transitioning a little bit to, okay, you're a business owner, you've tasted some success. Talk about your decision of how you've balanced personal life and being a business owner of, I think you said something really key of you had some goals of what you wanted life to look like with some balance. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's a big question that comes whether... It's really anybody pursuing mastery in anything that they love is they can give themselves wholly to one thing. And unfortunately, we'll see it train wreck some other aspects of life. How have you combated that? What advice would you have for for people that are in that grind? Well, and I'll, first of all, I'll say I'm not sure I figured it out. And Robbie and I have talked about this a little bit. That's a constant struggle, the, the balance of uh the work life versus the family life versus the you know i i am a devout christian so that part of my life is is important to me how do i balance all these things uh and i'm not sure that i've got it figured out but i i know that uh one of the things that was that has been really good for me uh is that the helicopter business like i said earlier is local so uh you know, in many of the other aviation jobs, airline pilots and charter pilots, jet, you know, you're you're traveling all the time. And one thing that was good for us is I I, could, I knew I was always going to be in my own bed at night. You know, uh, it was w- with the exception of occasional travel. It's always I was going to be home at night. And uh, and in the early years of starting our business, I struggled with the balance more because it just is more demanding, you know. Uh, and I had, and, and, you know, I wasn't horrible. It wasn't like I was working 20 hours a day and never seeing my kids, 
But I, I had an epiphany when my daughter, my, my oldest child is my is a daughter, Taylor. And when she was five years old, I it just hit me one day uh, as I, we were grinding and churning. And this was right during the time we were trying to get our business off the ground, no pun intended. And uh, I realized that other than a couple little weekend trips, I, I had never taken my daughter on vacation. She'd been on vacation with her grandparents, and she was five years old. And this was during the period we were still struggling. And I just went home. I told my wife, I said, look, I don't care what it takes. I don't care how low-key we are going on vacation. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was one of the best vacations we ever had. You know, as a young family, it, it was an epiphany to me. It woke me up to the fact that... And I was, I was never sloppy. I always knew... You know, people are always telling you time goes by so fast. You you mentioned you have a three-year-old daughter. Yeah. I would say the same to you. You won't believe how fast it's going to be that she's going to be off to college. You just, until you've lived that, you can't believe how fast that's going to happen. So I was always cognizant of that, but the things happened the way they did. We're working like crazy. Uh, you have to try to balance it. And uh, that was a big turning point for me. At, at that point that Taylor was five years old, uh, I said, okay, I, I've got to do better at this. Uh, you know, whether we're going to make it or we're not, I have to do a better job. And I really consciously started working on it. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, for for example, uh, this is very unusual in my business, but we close every Sunday. You know, we are closed to the extent that if you get caught working here, you might get fired. <laughs> if you come in wow. on Sunday, you might because. Uh, you know that that isn't really it's not a religious thing for me uh it, it is a uh we wanted one day that all of our employees could know that that day you're off you know you, you don't have to nobody's going to call you in there's going to be no emergency thing uh so that uh and and that was healthy for me too to know that at least that one day we're not going to do it um and then it's just a matter of continuously reminding yourself. And and my wife helps me with that. You know, my wife has has been my was my high school sweetheart. We have that advantage too. We kind of we started dating in our senior year, and we kind of grew up together. So I can tell when I'm pushing the limits just by even if she doesn't say anything. You know, hey Jennifer, I got to go to work today. Well, you know, this the, that's the last two or three Saturdays you've been at work. She doesn't even have to say it. I know. Okay, I'm. I'm getting out of balance here. I need to, and a lot of times, that's the that if there is a negative about passion, you guys know from <laughs> from your business. If there's a negative about it, it's because since the day I was 16 years old, I have never gotten out of bed dreading going to work. And we have customers we work with. That, oh my gosh, I can't I can't wait till Friday. You know, it's like, <laughs> or you hear people talking about Hump Day. I don't. <laughs> We, we we got over the hump, you know. So I, I've never experienced that. I've loved even the jobs I had that were crappy jobs. I loved doing them at that time in my life. And everybody's got a, a you know, there. Everybody has <clears throat> days you have to do things you don't want to do. Of course, you know those days you don't look forward to. But in general, uh, you know, I, I've always enjoyed coming to work and I've recognized especially in the last 10 years or so sometimes I go to work because I want to because I enjoy yeah. being at work and I, I don't have to be at work uh, 
I could take this time and I could go do one of these other priorities in my life. Uh, that's a matter of choice now. Yeah. You know, it isn't because I've got to pay the bills this week and man, I got to go down there and grind out some more production. Right. It's because I love what I'm doing. Yeah. If there's anything negative to the passion, that might be it. Uh, yeah. uh, and sometimes you have to say, okay, like watching too much TV or any or watching too much baseball or whatever. Yeah. You know, you got to stop and and uh, put the priorities in line. But I don't. I think it's a lifelong thing. I don't think it ever. Yeah. Uh, you know, like even as you asked me the question, I'm sitting here and my mind is turning. I'm thinking, yeah, the, the last month or so, I, I haven't done so great, yeah. you know. But I think what I love hearing about this, and this resonates with a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, is having the, the right view of work, too, is this should be something we get excited about. And it is fun. I mean, we were laughing on the hump day conversation because that drives me absolutely bonkers <laughs> it pisses me off because yeah, it's like then what why are you going there and i get it's a privileged conversation for a lot of we're very blessed to be able to wake up and do things but if you're listening to this podcast you're most likely in a position that if you hate your job and you, and you can't get over wednesday you need to go figure out what your passion is and do something else and realize yeah it's going to be a sacrifice you don't you don't get to make a hundred thousand dollars and do everything you love at the age of twenty five, right? Like right. Zuckerberg does. That's about it, you know. And I just think that it's really important to go um, find something you're passionate about, work, and it will give you the options when you're older to be able to do what you said is to say, hey, I can wake up and I am going to go into the office. I don't have to, but I want to, you know. And I I just think of legacy and what you've built here is really cool. Is you know, I can think of this is something that's going to last beyond your name, which has got to be something you're so proud of is right. to go. This wasn't an ego build, right. you know, um, and I just think that that's that's really amazing. When we were talking over lunch, one of the things you had mentioned before we even had pulled into the restaurant, I thought was funny is you're now in a situation. It's why we're sitting here doing this. This interview is there's been some recognized success and, and you've conducted yourself in a way that um younger guys even though we think robbie's old at our company um (laughs) respect you and they start to come to you and ask business advice or even ask you to invest in them how do you think about and i think this is really important for for business owners and athletes who have money to think like how do you just think about money and how do you think about investing uh well uh that's a timely question you know as i'm getting older and uh you know uh i'm not ready to to fly off into the sunset (laughs) yet but uh you start thinking about those things you know uh it's it's different than when you're starting and uh i I have always just been uh, very conservative you know uh um, and some of that is because as i observed over these years of working for other people and then starting our business and meeting so many successful business people. Uh, for me, for my personality and the way that I want to do things, I know that there's, there, there are different ideologies on uh, leveraging credit and, uh, you know, you hear terms like good debt and bad debt and, yeah, you know. Uh, what I noticed is the guys that I really looked up to and the, the people that I thought were the most successful and man and and were the most comfortable in their in their financial situation were the 
pretty much exclusively the cash or king guys, you know, the guys that bootstrapped. And I mean, we've been able to work with in the helicopter field, teaching some some people that started from very humble beginnings and built humongous companies, far, far bigger than I'll ever build. And those guys were just wonderful uh, resources for me. But when you listen to them talk and tell their stories, uh, they were pretty old school business guys. You know, they bootstrapped, they worked, they reinvested, they built equity in their companies, and they all had big paydays at the end. You know, uh, that influenced me. And, and I'm not, again, I had no business, no formal business training. I read a lot and I researched. And I talked to a lot of people. So I'm not saying that that my way was is the best for everybody, but. I knew for me what I needed to do was to, to uh, try to build a business that at whatever level uh, was going to be worth something and that could uh, either be sold or could continue, uh, you know, into our family uh, um, and be run by one of my kids or somebody, you know. Uh, so that, that was the biggest thing for me. Now, as I sit here... Uh, one of the things I've recognized in recent years is my lack, and I'm always throwing little questions at Robbie because I have no investment knowledge, uh, and I'm an old school. Uh, I, I have no stock market. Uh, I have have not invested in the stock market because everything that I've done for 25 years has been reinvested in my own company. Right. I know exactly what the returns are in my company. Right. I know exactly how to leverage my uh, my equity and the machines that we use, uh, how to best write them off and gain the tax benefits from them. Uh, and I'm very comfortable with that. And But now I'm recognizing that someday uh, I'm, I am going to, I, I can't do this forever. Uh, I'm, Hopefully, God willing, I'm going to sell out. or, uh, And when that happens, I'm going to have to transition to my money working for me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I, I am nervous about that because I, I don't have any skill set of that. I, I've done, uh, you know, I've, I, I've done side businesses and things that I've uh, kind of been hobbies for us. But when it comes time for me to... I mean, my if you use the word that financial planners like you guys always yeah. use portfolio. Yeah. I mean, my only portfolio has been a bunch of helicopters, you know. Yeah. So now, when those are gone and it's time for me to let the money work, uh, uh, that's something I'm going to have to get help with. I mean, I recognize that I'm going to have to uh, go out and and try to find some people like you guys that I trust or somebody who can help me. Uh, figure out how to responsibly do that so i'm not out of money in five years you right. know what i mean yeah i think it's i mean i know this is resonating with our athletes right because i think this is just true whether you're an athlete or your business owner is you've reinvested into what you know and it, and it has been the best investment it's funny i was going to ask you later but we can even do it now is we we always ask that question um What's the one best or most worthwhile investment you've made? It could be time, money, resources, and every single business owner, my own business, of course, you know, and so I think that's a really natural thing, but where I would say you're a step ahead, where most of our athletes are, or find themselves is the music stops 
and there's been no thought whatsoever. And so just even that in, that intentionality, and it's and it's scary for the audience. We recognize it that it's I've done this my whole life, and now okay, I'm being rewarded for the work I've done. But now there's this whole next phase of life. I'm going to have to trust people. It's an area that I don't understand. Um, the financial world has not been friendly to consumers, as, as we joked around of the famous book, uh, Where's the Customer's Yachts? You know, and so I think it's a, yeah, it's just a, it's a scary place to think for the audience to be. But, you know, clearly you're already starting to think about it and, and thinking that way. One of the things you said in the car, though, about investing that I thought was great is when people come to you with, with ideas, can you share with just with the audience of, of how those conversations go and, and what kind of advice would you go give to someone who's starting a business? Um, well, I think what, what we were talking about in the car, somehow or another, we were taught, we got on to, uh, I don't remember investment advice or something. And I, I made the comment that, you know, from time to time, we have people uh, come to us that want us to either uh, invest in their idea or they want, uh, they say they've got an idea. A lot of those things are aviation oriented, so they're looking for advice or and or financial uh, assistance. And one of the things I, I've always learned, which is, again, sounds very simplistic, but to me, uh, it's an important question. I usually say, well, you've laid out your idea and, and I see your passion for the idea and, and uh, it, it could be, you know, very relevant. But do you have any customers yet? Have you, <laughs> have you run this by anybody who's a potential customer? And can you sign up one person? Uh, that's a real litmus test to me, uh, you know, as a, a marketing research thing to run your idea by some people who may actually be customers and see if anybody jumps with the checkbook. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in most cases, uh, the answer was, well, no, I never thought about that, or no. Well, nobody's offered to pay me for this product or good or service, Right. and that's uh, a bad sign. Some, of the, some folks have said, yeah, that's a great idea, and I, I need to go pursue that. I need to go talk to some real, because, you know, again, Business is so, I mean, it, it requires customers. So you, you don't have a business. You have a hobby. Yeah. And uh, and that's okay to have a hobby, but you have to be honest enough to say this is a hobby. Right. Uh, it costs money. It doesn't make money. And um, so, yeah, that's what I was talking about in the in the car. And it, was, it, it, it is very simple, but it's very wise, a very wise yeah. way to approach it, I think. And what was the other part of the question? I so, the, which I just I love that advice. It's the minimal minimum viable product, right? right? Of of going even as an investor, you know, as I think of the angel investments or venture capital that that we or our clients do is if you can actually come with proof of concept and you show sales, it's a much more interesting deal and you're not going to have to give up as much of your business to get somebody else's capital. So, I think that that's just a very wise thing to say. Um, my second question was just, you've over the years obviously read a lot of books and periodicals and journals to to become the, the business owner that you are. What resources would you point 
people too who are trying to start businesses. You had mentioned, you know, maybe rich dad, poor dad for for learning. Are there any books or, or anything that that pops out to you of that you'd say, hey, these these are the resources that I would go to. Uh. Well, interestingly enough, uh, the uh, again the gentleman uh, that was the Dodgers general manager. What was his name? Fred Clare. Fred. Uh, he mentioned in uh, from good to great. Yeah. And I it's been years ago, but I read that book and enjoyed it very much. And the the idea behind the hedgehog concept. He he brought that up in his podcast. I I have uh, uh, read almost everything that. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki has written because a lot of it really resonated with me, but not all of it. I mean, he's a leverage guy. Use other, <laughs> use other people's money. You know, that part of it I could never really feel comfortable with. Uh, you know, I and of course he's a much more accomplished businessman than I am. So, uh, so I'm not criticizing that, but I took a lot of uh, advice from his uh, books, and and I advise. Uh, Especially younger people who are who have this idea, and this, I said, "Hey, have you ever? If you think that this area of business or this particular business idea might have validity, have you tried it, or have you worked? Go to work for somebody." Hmm. Uh, I just was talking with a young lady that uh, um, has some ideas uh, in another field away from aviation, uh, and I I said to her, hey, if you believe that you might want to own that type of business someday, go get a job and work there for a year. You're at a place in your life that you can do that. You're un- unencumbered. You're not married. You're not having to grind out a mortgage payment or anything. Do it now before it's too late. And that, like we talked about, uh, you mentioned before, you know, uh, uh, in, in uh, our previous conversation uh, where a, a lot of people uh, – and this, we see some of this in our business, people that are coming here with the idea of retraining. or A lot of people don't intend it to be that way, but they get trapped in a mm-hmm. lifestyle or a job or a uh, set of payments and a, and a set of obligations that make it really difficult to get out. That's yes. another thing that I try to really, if somebody's really wanting to start a business, you can't lie to them. you got to tell them there are exceptions to the rule and people that... You know, all of a sudden they, they put something on the market or they open their doors and they're instantly uh, making money. That's not, I mean, in my experience with all the <laughs> entrepreneurs I've known, that's yeah. not the normal thing. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a long road. You, I always try to be honest with people about that, but I also let them know, hey, it's a long road, but it, nothing, if you're meant to be that person, you're meant to do the entrepreneurial thing and run a company or be your own boss, there's nothing, I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Knowing everything I know, I, I would do the same thing over again, not even think about it. Yeah, I think just a book that comes to mind is The Lean Startup. It talks about the ramen budget. I mean, it's it's probably the hardest thing for our generation and our consumeristic society today to forego the instant gratification. But, I mean, it is the less obligations you have in the short term, the more freedom you have to build your business quicker and without the stress, you know, is when, and this is just true of, I think our athletes, this is a lot of the advice we give, whether it's our business owner, clients, entrepreneurs, athletes, is when you start to create this lifestyle, like 
until your money is working enough for you that you don't have to work, you're not, you don't have true freedom. Right. Right. And the beautiful thing about that number is you control it, you know? So instead of putting yourself under this stress where it's like, I, I have to do these things that I don't enjoy to keep up a lifestyle that Will Smith famously says, you're maintaining to impress people you don't like anyways, right. you know, is control your expenses now and then enjoy those benefits if the business goes, you know, goes well. And if it doesn't, then you have flexibility to move on. Yeah. So I think that's really wise. Um, being sensitive on, on time, kind of the, the final question that we always ask is, so our podcast kind of tagline is master your money, your business. But then the third part, and I think this is by far the most critical, is your life, is business is great. Um, I think there's a ton of intrinsic value to what we do as businesses, but money's just a tool. Money's a tool to hopefully live life successfully for whatever that means for individuals is just posing that question to you is kind of when you think at the end of your life, looking back, if people said, all right, Neil, you've been successful. What's that mean to you at the end of life? Uh, well, success to me, uh, would be, uh, and again, uh, not to get preachy or anything, but I, uh, being a, a devout follower of Christ, that, that is the first thing to me that, um, that is where the game is won and lost. Uh, have I, have I been successful in that? And, uh, not that we're, we're all going to make mistakes and we're all going to have, uh, regrets, but have, uh, have I been true to my savior? And have I, and I'm a real family person, so we have a very tight-knit family, and I now have my first couple grandkids. Uh, so uh, another part of my definition of success is have I done everything I can do to, to bolster them in that tradition, you know, to leave them with that heritage uh, and to be an example to them. I mean, I feel the... Uh, the pressure and you guys are younger fathers so you're going to feel i mean you already feel it but as the kids get older the pressure you feel the pressure of being a, a mentor to your own children and to and those are the most important people in your life you know uh, your wife and your kids and now the grandkids oh my gosh is a whole nother level <laughs> i mean uh i i knew i always knew i would be, be really love being a grandfather but i never never had an idea that it would be this special. So that's a big part of if there's a legacy or a success to my life is, uh, you know, when I'm gone, that my kids and my grandkids and and the people that we've worked with, you know, that our customers uh, feel like that, you know, you dealt with them with integrity and you, uh, uh, you were who you said you were. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, again, not that anybody's perfect. I mean, I have... You know, every father looks back. My kids are all adults now, and I look back and say, "Man, I wish I would have done this a little different or that a little different." Uh, you know, we all do the best we can, but uh, uh, but that is a big part of my success. And then, yes, I do want to. Uh, I want to make sure that if I pass before my wife goes, that she's taken care of. You know, hmm. uh, and and is that sexist? No. Not in my opinion. It's not sexist. It's me taking care of my family. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to make sure that I, I have financially planned to the point that 
if I go first, uh, that, that she's taken care of through her natural life, and that, God willing, we leave some inheritance for our kids and for my grandkids, especially my grandkids. <laughs> I just told Parker, my son, the other day, I said, dude, I wish I could have just skipped you and gone, gone right to my, my grandkids. But, and, uh, and I hope to have many more of those before I pass on, you know, many more grandkids. So that, that all is part of the success. What, that's the real legacy. That's the serious mm. part of it. The, here's the fun part for me uh, at, at this age, um, at 56 years old, just getting into the grandparent thing. What, what at this point in our business, now that we, we have somewhat made it and we don't have the pressures we had in the early years, uh, the neatest thing about being a business owner and and uh, and and having uh, being in the black instead of the red, like we were, <laughs> in the, is that you you do have some more freedom and you can enjoy uh, time with your kids and your family and and uh, you can invest in their futures. You know you can start to set up the things. Uh, you know, the college funds and, and the uh, educational things for your kids and your grandkids and help them in ways that, you know, that that we probably never would have been if I would have continued working for other people. Yeah. That today is the fun stuff. You know, that's the that's what makes it uh, uh, so satisfying. Um, and, you know, we still all have to have a healthy fear. I mean, I still uh, and it's. It's it's a healthy fear. You don't want to go too far, but you still have to. We have. There's no such thing as making it permanently. Yes. You know, I'm still constantly aware of our. What are our? What is the industry doing? What are our competitors doing? Uh, you know, uh, it, it would be easy to start to go on autopilot, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a really dangerous thing for people that get towards the end of their career. Yeah. You start thinking about, or or you. You get out and start having so much fun that you start not paying attention to the details or letting other people, uh, you know, do everything for you. I think entrepreneurs have to be very careful of that, too. But but like I said, all in all, uh, we've had real struggles at times during our journey as business owners, my wife and I. But, man, I wouldn't trade it for the world. For those that are listening, you know, and if you've got that gene, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing else that's gonna. <laughs> there's nothing else that's going to uh, satisfy you. You know, if you if you've got the the entrepreneurial gene, so uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Even if you know a lot of entrepreneurs try things and they're they're not always successful every time. You know, I, I look up to those people, serial entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, I guess I'm an entrepreneur, but I always I'm just a helicopter guy. I knew one thing, right? I really respect the people that can go from business to business because they're business people. Yeah. You know, that's a skill that's beyond what, what I've done. So anyway, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the time. This has been oh, you're welcome. a lot of fun. And I know uh, I took a lot away from it. And uh, Well, I got to tell you, you're good yeah. at this, man. You're, you're, you're going to be a late night. You, there's a late night host in your future or something. Yeah, you're, you know, we'll you, see. It's, you're a uh, professional. You know, behind a camera and a microphone, we, we like to have a little fun, right? Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. We've enjoyed it. And um, for our audience, uh, I'll put all of the books or references in the show notes. If you guys want to learn more about quantum helicopters, we'll make sure that the information's in there. And uh, 
Please leave comments, feedback, anything that you have for us, and tune in next week for another episode of the Athlete CEO Podcast.